Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. Today, I want to talk about something that people feel very strongly about, and this is religion and IVF. And I'm using the term religion very broadly. But sometimes I find that people come into my office with preconceived ideas about what IVF is and what it is not. And I think it's important for you to understand the process and potentially how it could be modified or give you things to think about for your own goals. Because this is something that exists, the technology exists solely to help you have a family. And if that is not miraculous than what is. Before we dive into that, I do want to tell you a couple of housekeeping updates. Number one, fertility in the news has been moved to the weekly newsletter. So I've started sending out a weekly newsletter with updates, my favorite things, recipes, and also answering some of your fertility questions and fertility in the news. There has been so much spicy fertility news. I mean, embryos being switched in labs, sperm donors getting custody of their children. It's a wild world out there, y'all. So definitely sign up, Natalie Crawford MD slash newsletter. You can sign up for the weekly newsletter. But these episodes, I want them to be a little more evergreen for you. Also, fertility Q&A is going to continue in all the places, so you will catch some questions at the end of this episode. You will also see them in the newsletter and Mondays on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Ask your questions there and you will find some answered here, answered in the newsletter, and answered on Instagram. We do have some episodes where we answer the As a Woman voicemail, and so if you have a pressing question, feel free to call 657 229 3672. We have an episode being recorded very soon where I am answering your voicemails. All right, friends. Well, getting back to the issue at hand. First of all, let's acknowledge that religion, your spiritual beliefs are a highly personal and individualized thing. What you believe and how you believe it, your interpretation of your religious material or your religion is going to be different than somebody else's. And that is okay. That is the beauty of of religion. That's the beauty of you being able to look inside your heart and soul and interpret something in a way that gives you some guiding principles for your life. That truly is what religion can be about. And I think we can all agree that I'll have people walk into my office and the first words out of their mouth will be, well, we don't want to do IVF because it's against our religion. And I'm always really intrigued by that really strong conviction 
right off the bat, right? Because one, I might not have said that you need IVF, but two, I don't even know what your religion is. And three, where does your religious material truly state that IVF is bad or off limits? And I am not here to tell you your religion is right or wrong. And I'm not here to tell you that IVF has to be a certain way and that of course it's allowed. But I do think before we come to these huge grasping conclusions, we need to understand what happens in nature inside our bodies. And we need to understand what happens in IVF. And we need to understand where it can be modified. Because I'll tell you, I have modified the process for patients because of their religious preferences so that they feel comfortable with it and thus allowing them to have a baby. It might take them longer or cost them more money because what they need to do to do the process might not be the most efficient thing. And that's okay too, right? I'm sure that your God, if you're religious, wants you to be able to have a family and be a parent. And I'm sure that your God helped create this science so that we can even do this amazing stuff. But honestly, I'm not here to tell you if your religion is right or wrong, or even to differentiate between different religions. I'm asking you to listen to what I'm about to say and then reflect on it before you draw huge conclusions. So what happens inside the body is that in a given month, if you are ovulating normally, what is happening is that your body has a group of eggs that is available in one given month. These are considered the antral follicle count, and there's one egg inside each follicle. The brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, which is FSH, and FSH is going to drive a follicle to grow, meaning it's the food for the egg. This one egg is going to grow, develop, make estrogen, and then ovulate, and all of the other eggs are going to die. So immediately, you're losing a whole lot of eggs right off the bat. That egg is then going to be released and hopefully going to be picked up by the fallopian tube. If sperm is present, it has a potential opportunity to fertilize. Fertilization occurs in the fallopian tube, and then the embryo has to grow and develop over the course of the next five to six days until it reaches an implantation stage embryo, where if the environment is perfect and the embryo is genetically okay and has appropriate cell division, it can try to start to implant. Well, we know that not every embryo implants and makes it to a baby. And the reality is a lot of this was really unknown to us for a long time. And IVF has uncovered some of the mystery of human reproduction because we're able to see what happens. One thing that is very interesting is that pregnancies have been dated based on your last period for ever and ever. Because well before ultrasound and well before we knew when ovulation was happening, people still had babies. And so what would happen is somebody would miss a period and then suddenly think that they might be pregnant. Obviously, they would have to miss a lot of this. And so they would think back to when they had their last period, and that is when they would start the weeks of the pregnancy. Now, this is interesting because pregnancy weeks, therefore, are off because You're two weeks pregnant the moment you ovulate. If you have normal, regular cycles, two weeks pregnant when you ovulate, when there's not even sperm around. If that egg gets fertilized by the sperm, you are pregnant for days 
in your fallopian tube before you can ever get a positive pregnancy test because the pregnancy has not implanted. So there is a living embryo, for the lack of a better word. It has cells. It's a ball of cells that is dividing. There are no organs. It is purely cells that's going from one to two to four to eight to 16. It's doubling and it is expanding as a ball. Around the time that it starts to enter into the uterus five to six days later, it is now what we consider a blastocyst. And a blastocyst is where the embryo, almost like a soccer ball, all the outer cells are the placenta. And on the inside of the embryo is a little ball of cells that does eventually become the baby. Again, no organs differentiated, no heartbeat, just a ball of cells. This embryo was alive if we consider fertilization the start of life. And yet you had no idea you were pregnant. You can't detect a pregnancy test and that embryo has not attached into your uterus. And so it cannot survive, right? An embryo needs a placental connection to a uterus in order to get blood supply to survive. And we know that not every embryo will implant. So in nature, there is much reproductive loss. Every egg does not fertilize. Every fertilized egg does not grow to the appropriate stage of an embryo. Every embryo does not implant. And every embryo that implant does not result in a live birth. Why is nature made this way? Because humans cannot have very many babies without high risk of complications. We are not a good species at reproducing. It's really crazy, right? Because we have a lot of risks. Pregnancy is not health neutral. Things can go wrong. And the more pregnancies you tend to have, the higher risk of certain complications. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W. When you use our code AAW, 
That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. That doesn't mean that you can't have a lot of pregnancies or have a high number, but in general, most people will not be able to have very high numbers of children like we see in animal species. And so the uterus, the human body is selective. It wants to try to give an embryo that has the absolute best chance, the ability to try to become a baby. And if things aren't going well, it halts the process. And a lot of the ways that it communicates to the body is through the production of the pregnancy hormone HCG. This is important because HCG is made from the embryo and you cannot detect HCG until that embryo has implanted into the uterus and it starts to be released into the maternal bloodstream. Now, physiologically, HCG is crucial. It stimulates the corpus luteum to continue making progesterone. After ovulation, the corpus luteum is initially making progesterone from LH, which is secreted by the pituitary gland. And that corpus luteum can live on LH alone for about two weeks. If it is not rescued by a pregnancy making now HCG, HCG also stimulates progesterone production. And if HCG is not enough or rising appropriately, your corpus luteum will not make enough progesterone. And that is one of the top ways that a abnormal pregnancy communicates to your body that things are not going well and that it is time for you to miscarry. So let's acknowledge that in nature, there's a lot of loss along this process and that the uterus is rightfully selective. Let's also acknowledge that pregnancy has risks. Your uterus can only handle a placenta. I mean, think about what a placenta does. It invades, it eats away, it sends out proteases, enzymes that eat away at the wall of your uterus in order to allow a placenta to invade its blood vessels. And then it's supposed to detach that placenta, heal up perfectly, and then allow this to happen again. That's a risky process. You have risks of infection, dying, hemorrhaging, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, having strokes, having amniotic fluid embolisms, pulmonary embolisms. It's just not a health neutral state. It is a higher risk state to be pregnant than to not be pregnant. That being said, are people pregnant all the time and have no complications? Of course. So if you're trying to get pregnant and everything's going perfectly well, you cannot detect a positive pregnancy test until you're typically what we consider four weeks pregnant a normal over-the-counter pregnancy test or a blood test for pregnancy, you're four weeks pregnant by the time you miss that period. However, the pregnancy is only two weeks old. It's still a ball of cells. There are no organs. Nothing has developed. It's a ball of cells that is implanting and making some HCG by the time you can detect it. And now imagine if you have irregular periods and the symptoms of early pregnancy are very similar to the luteal phase symptoms of having high progesterone, such as having sore breasts and being nauseous and tired tired and bloated. Those are the exact same early pregnancy symptoms because your early pregnancy symptoms come from high progesterone. A corpus luteum makes high progesterone. So there could be no way to really detect it earlier. And you might not know if your periods aren't perfectly regular. This does mean that when we think about pregnancy and we think about, oh, six weeks, somebody's known they were pregnant for six weeks. Absolutely not. At six weeks pregnant, you at most knew you were pregnant for two weeks. And the pregnancy is not six weeks 
old. But we've continued to use that pregnancy dating and terminology because that is what has been recorded for all of time and we're not going to go back and redo it. But it is important to understand the difference. Now, IVF studies in the lab have showed us by watching the natural course of what happens to embryos, really what that natural loss rate is, meaning not every egg will fertilize. Typically, in best case scenarios, when we put sperm inside of the egg, which is called ICSI or intracytoplasmic sperm injection, we tend to see fertilization rates of about 75 to 80%. Of those that fertilize, only about 50% of them will make it to an implantation stage embryo. So eggs that accept fertilization are not going to make it all the way through the process. Only 50% of them will make it to that implantation stage embryo. Rates of genetic normalcy are based on your age. The older your eggs are, the longer they've been sitting there and the higher risk that they become poor quality or chromosomally abnormal. This is at no fault of your own, but something that happens because the chromosomes have been sitting there absorbing the wear and tear of your life. So let's say you're now age 36 and 50% of your eggs are genetically normal and 50% are abnormal. Well, that's important because of the genetically normal embryos, only 65% will become a living child, right? Meaning you're implantation rates higher, there's still a miscarriage rate. And we know that in embryos that have not been tested, so in nature, we see a direct correlation with a decrease in pregnancy rate as somebody ages and an increase in miscarriage rate and the increase in genetic abnormalities. So human reproduction is inefficient. The body is trying to find the embryo that has the highest chance of making it to a baby that can survive out in the wild. And humans are not meant to carry every fertilized egg all the way to baby. All right. So let's say you're having trouble getting pregnant and what all could be happening. Maybe you're not ovulating. Maybe your fallopian tubes are blocked. Maybe egg and sperm cannot meet because you have really bad endometriosis and the inside of your body is scarred and that's not your fault. You did nothing to cause that, but you'll never see a pregnancy because those tubes are completely blocked without the help of IVF. Maybe the male partner has really, really bad sperm counts. Maybe he had undescended testes as a child and had to have surgery to help bring them into the testicular sac. And because of that extra heat exposure, they just make very low sperm counts. Maybe your partner had testicular cancer and had to get chemo or lost a testes. Maybe you had cancer and got chemo as a child and your egg count is really low or you lost an ovary. Maybe you lost both ovaries and you need to use donor egg. Maybe you lost your uterus after your first delivery because it had cancer or you were bleeding and they had to take it out to save your life. But what if you want a family? What does that mean? And what is IVF and how do we use it in so many different circumstances to help people become parents? IVF is taking one month's group of eggs and allowing them to grow. I already told you that nature has one grow and lets the rest of them die. So tell me what's so wrong with allowing a lot of them to grow. I now just gave you more opportunities to have a family. So you take hormone shots that are very natural. FSH and LH, same hormones that the pituitary gland makes, just in higher than normal doses for about two weeks in order to stimulate however many eggs you have available in a given month to grow. Now that number is going to be partly dependent on your age and partly dependent on what we call ovarian reserve, meaning everybody is not equal and some people might be young and still running out of eggs. So you might get five eggs, you might get 40 
but whatever is happening, we're trying to get a group of eggs to grow forward. We then take those eggs out of the body in an egg retrieval. And this is a procedure done under anesthesia where we put a needle through the vagina into the ovaries and we drain out the follicles and I get test tubes full of your eggs. Now that I have test tubes full of your eggs, this is where things can happen differently. I do not see why anything I have just said should be oppositional by anybody's version of their religion. And maybe it is. But to me, I don't understand why getting more eggs to grow and taking them out of the body is bad. I feel okay with that. Maybe you don't. But I think that makes sense. I'm giving you a chance. Nothing's being harmed. Not doing much different, but giving more eggs an opportunity to become a baby. Now in the lab, conventional IVF. IVF as it was originally invented. Also, when IVF was first invented, we didn't have the medications to grow multiple eggs. So they went and they did a surgical procedure through the abdomen to just get the one egg that you were ovulating wild. But now we're going to go and get however many eggs we can. And then we're going to fertilize them. So conventional fertilization is taking a Petri dish, putting the eggs in it, and just putting sperm on top of it, and then covering it and putting it in the incubator, and then pulling it out the next day and seeing which embryos have fertilized. Now, that's all we had for a long period of time. And some people had failed fertilization, meaning you'd pull the dish out and nothing would have fertilized. And maybe it was the eggs had been exposed to high levels of inflammation or had hard zona pellucidas, that outer shell. Or maybe the sperm counts were so low that even though they were in close proximity, that sperm still couldn't get into the egg. So then ICSI was invented. And ICSI is intracytoplasmic sperm injection. ICSI is picking up a normal appearing sperm. You don't have any idea anything about the sperm except it's moving in a straight line, has one head, one tail. They don't know the DNA of the sperm. Nobody knows if it's male or female or if it's genetics or normal. But you pick up a sperm, put it in a little pipette, crack open the egg, and put the sperm inside. And even when you do ICSI, again, not every egg will accept the sperm. It's not a fail-safe. And then traditionally, the embryos are grown out. If you do genetic testing, genetic testing is taking a sample of cells from the placenta, not from the inner cell mass, but the trophectoderm of the placenta, and sending those cells off to be tested for genetics. All the embryos are typically frozen while you wait for those results, and then you selectively transfer a genetically normal embryo. Now, and now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. That genetic testing can also be done for people who carry genetic diseases. We can eliminate cancer syndromes or 
disabling autosomal dominant diseases or autosomal recessive diseases that both partners carry. Being able to do single gene genetic testing can change somebody's family. And I have patients who have watched a child die from a terrible disease and they're so scared to have that happen again. And IVF with genetic testing for that disease has made them be able to have children who are healthy and they don't have to watch their children die over and over. And I think that's a blessing. I think that technology is amazing. So that's the normal process the vast majority of people do for IVF. Now, I've modified this in a variety of different ways, and I have very deeply religious or spiritual patients who've modified nothing, and it's all a matter of perspective and what sits right with you. So I just want to take a moment and go through some of the top questions I get asked for patients and letting you know my take on it and things for you to think about. And I really, really, really want you to know there's no right or wrong answer here. And any answer does have certain consequences that you need to understand. Is it a lower chance of success or the need for more cycles, or you might spend more money because everybody has different needs at one time. And IVF is physically, emotionally, financially exhausting, and you need to go into it well-prepared. So I have some patients who go through the process exactly as described for whatever reason they need. Now, Secondarily, I have patients who will say, I will transfer embryos we need for our family and we'll keep the rest of them. And then the top question is, what do I do with my other embryos? And so this leads us to the question of where does IVF sometimes make you feel uncomfortable? And I will find it's this question that gets most people, what to do with excess embryos. But before I answer it, I have some people who have other things. So if you tell me to you, Life begins at fertilization and anything that is fertilized, you won't even freeze it. Like you don't even feel comfortable getting it to an implantation stage and freezing it later. Then we can transfer all eggs that have fertilized that make it into an embryo into your body. But that means I'm going to have to fertilize fewer eggs and drastically fewer, right? Because if I fertilize three and all three make it and you don't feel comfortable freezing them, that's okay. Then I'm putting three embryos in your body. So depending on your age, this means we're probably fertilizing two or three maximum eggs and you probably made more than two to three eggs. So am I throwing them in the trash like nature would do, even though you just spent $15,000 to get them out of your body? Or am I freezing them? That option might allow me to use them if none of these make it into a living child and Nature doesn't freeze or thaw eggs, so I don't know how you feel about that. But freezing eggs is not benign, and most survival rates for eggs are about 85 to 90%. So not every egg that you freeze will survive and therefore be able to be fertilized. If you're freezing them as eggs, you have to be okay doing ICSI. That's a mandatory thing because you strip off the outer cells that a sperm would attach to. So if you don't feel comfortable doing ICSI, you also can't freeze eggs. So if you say, okay... I don't feel comfortable doing ICSI. I want the sperm to be able to randomly get into an egg without an embryologist picking it, understanding the embryologist has no data on which sperm. So it truly is still random. But if you don't feel comfortable with ICSI, they need to be fertilized. And if you don't feel comfortable freezing embryos, and then you can only fertilize 
two or three and you'll throw the rest of the eggs away. And I've done that for patients, y'all. Like It's okay. That's a choice. It's not financially the smartest choice. And statistically, it's not the smartest choice. But if that's the only choice that sits right with you, well, then it's way better than nothing if your tubes are blocked, for example. All right. So you can fertilize just some. You can throw the other eggs away or you can freeze them away. You can do ICSI or not do ICSI. You can also do genetic testing or not do genetic testing. You can freeze them or embryos or not. I will tell you that the majority of patients I have care for have said, you know what? I feel okay getting them to the embryo stage, but anything that makes it to an embryo, I need to transfer. And for some people, that's a genetically normal embryo. They're like, hey, if it's a genetically normal embryo and it has the chance of turning into a living baby, I need to, at some point in my life, give it the opportunity to become a child. And that's great. Maybe you'll have a big family and you wanted a big family and fantastic. We save those embryos. We'll thaw one and transfer it later. I have other people who say when my family's done, I will decide what to do with the embryos. I have others who say I don't want to do genetic testing, but anything that makes it into an embryo, I need to transfer into my body at some point. Gosh, okay. Well, how many embryos am I expecting you to make? How many eggs are you getting? How many can I safely fertilize? It's still a numbers game. I still may not fertilize them all. So if we just take basic math and let's say you're 30 and you say anything that makes it to an embryo needs to be transferred. Embryos can't be frozen. I don't feel good with that. All right. So then I'm going to fertilize two eggs and I'm going to grow them out. And I already told you they have about a 75% chance of taking the fertilization, 50% chance of making it through to that implantation stage embryo, and not everyone will be genetically normal. But I can't fertilize more if I can't freeze them as embryos. That means if those two don't make it into a living baby after I transfer them into you, what am I going to do next? Are those eggs still frozen? And can I thaw another two and try to fertilize them and grow them out? If so, that's an option. I'm still paying a substantial amount of money each cycle of thawing and fertilizing and much more than I would have had I allowed fertilization initially and had the embryos grow out to the embryo stage. If I feel comfortable making them as embryos and just say, I need to give these a chance at life in my body, that does give us a little more play because then we can at least get them to that stage. Now we might have to fertilize fewer, free some as a group of eggs. We might still not have the highest success rates. This is going to be highly dependent on your age. But if I'm able to free some as eggs, it's not going to be as costly if the group that I fertilized didn't make it into what you wanted for your whole family. And if I can do genetic testing, then we're being the most cost efficient for a lot of people, especially if you're 35 and older, at helping you get to a family in a more efficient and financially easier way. There's no right or wrong in here. I will tell you, when I have made accommodations, I counsel patients really well. I walk them through their exact age, their exact antral follicle count, where the decisions are, and you will have a lower success rate most likely, and you will have to spend more money or do more cycles. The further along you feel comfortable pushing the process, the easier it will be for you. But again, all of these are trying to take something and apply it so that you can have a family, right? The alternative is your tubes are blocked and you can't do anything. So versus just saying, I don't believe in IVF, it's against my religion. I challenge you to say, what is it that I really have a problem with? Do I have a problem with growing more eggs than just one because nature loses a bunch of eggs all the time. Do I have a problem 
fertilizing them or growing them to embryo or allowing them to be frozen, if I plan to transfer them and give them a chance at life later, like, does that still bother me? The biggest issue for most people is what do you do with embryos if you have excess? And you might have excess for a variety of reasons, right? Maybe you wanted a big family and you had a terrible birth and you lost your uterus and you've decided your one living child is going to be your child and you're not going to have more, but you have two other embryos in the freezer. And this is a very interesting situation. Number one, I tell all patients the smartest thing to do is to absolutely keep them until no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, You would never transfer them in any circumstance. Would you ever use a gestational carrier? What if something terrible happened, a child died? Would you ever consider adding to your family? If so, you should keep them until you cross that bridge. Right now, you can discard them. You know, the body discards embryos every single day, right? Not every embryo implants into the body. So you shouldn't feel bad, but you can also donate them to science or research so that people can learn. And you can also donate them to other couples. This is wrongfully called embryo adoption, but it's really embryo donation. And it has its own logistics, but that option does allow people to become parents too. So there's a variety of different choices out there. And I think none is right or wrong. Embryos can stay frozen for a long time. The longest an embryo has been frozen and become a baby was 30 years. So that was a donated embryo. A couple had embryos 30 plus years ago, had excess, donated them. And then a couple got those embryos and transferred them and they were able to have a living child. And that is a very beautiful thing. And these are very personal questions about how you feel about it. So my ask to you is to understand that the process is actually really simple, right? I'm going to take one month's group of eggs and I'm going to give them the chance to become embryos. Even when I have a perfect genetically normal embryo, only becomes a baby 65% of the time. So there's so much loss in this process. The more embryos I have, the more genetically normal embryos I have, the higher the chance it is that I get you pregnant. And anybody who's gone through infertility or gone through IVF knows how hard this is. I also think it is really important for everybody listening to know you can choose whatever you want. Having a doctor who you feel comfortable sharing your concerns, having a nuanced discussion with about your goals, and giving you honest advice. I don't mind if you want to limit fertilization, but it will be harder and you might have a smaller family or have to spend more money or it may take you longer and you deserve to really understand that. Similarly, the vast majority of people, regardless of their religion, will choose to go through IVF in a very traditional way because the science supports it exists and it supports that that is the most efficient and effective way for you to have a family. It should be your choice, right? It should be your choice to utilize the science and the medicine and the technology that exists. But ultimately, most people will go through IVF without any modifications and, you know, maybe they have a discussion about how many embryos. Honestly, most people will not have a large number of excess embryos. And so I'll sometimes have patients very worried about this, but then based on their age and their embryo number or their egg number, you know, the resulting embryo number that they're going to have is they may be unlikely to even get a baby from one cycle and need multiple cycles. But you don't know that when you're just starting out. And so that might sound really burdensome. I don't want to have 20 embryos sitting around what's going to happen to them. That's highly unrealistic. So You should have that discussion. You shouldn't just put up a big wall and say, I do not believe in IVF. If you hear about it and you learn about it and you understand how it could help you, and then you say, this is not for us. We don't feel comfortable with it for X, Y, or Z reason, and we don't feel comfortable with any modification, 
100% great. At least you explored it and you feel comfortable with that. And if that means you have to explore other paths to parenthood or not be a parent and you feel comfortable with that, great. Okay. And so my whole point of this episode is trying to say sometimes the world tells you that if you believe X, Y must be true. And That is not how religion works. This is somebody's interpretation and you need to have your own interpretation. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? Why is this process challenging those beliefs and can you make it better or what can you do? I just want to say a huge thanks for listening to this episode. Obviously, my point is to tell you that so much is really imperfect in human reproduction. And our job as a fertility doctor or mine is to help you have a family. And I want to try to do anything I can to get to that outcome. And I want you to feel good with it. So if we need to have a talk about what you feel comfortable with, or let me explain to you what it is, let's chat about it. And you deserve to have that type of relationship with your physician or your care team. I'm going to answer a few questions. So this is for fertility sake, our weekly Q and a, you can ask your questions on Instagram at Nellie Crawford MD every Monday, or you can call the voicemail 657-229-3672. All right. Spotting for four days before your period. Is this a problem and what can it mean? It can be abnormal to have significant luteal phase spotting that can be a sign of a luteal phase defect or potentially making not enough progesterone. Really, we think this is a problem with ovulation, so on the spectrum of ovulation disorder. So do you have an issue with ovulation? When are you ovulating? Can you detect it? Do you have any thyroid or prolactin abnormalities? Those can also impact ovulation. You don't know that unless you get it checked. Could you have any structural uterine abnormalities like a polyp? A polyp can cause bleeding. So the short answer is I would consider getting this worked up if you're consistently having that spotting, especially if you have not gotten pregnant and you've been trying to. All right, question two, my friends are starting IVF and what is the best way I can support? People often don't want to talk about IVF because they feel like they are burdening you. So the best thing you can do is help them not feel like a burden, meaning Ask them questions about it. How is it going? Give them an open door to express their feelings without trying to offer solutions. Offer to go to appointments or take down notes or help them hear what their doctor is saying. Offer to give injections if they have a partner and their partner is going out of town. That could be so helpful. Take them to lunch. Try to include them in things and don't leave them out. So trying to just be present can be so helpful for your friend, whether that's a listening ear or a physical body or a distraction, ask them what they need. I'm having an HSG done soon. Is it painful? Honestly, everybody's experience with an HSG is very different. An HSG is a hysterosalpingogram. This means that we are taking a speculum and placing it in the vagina. We're taking a catheter and placing it through the cervix into the entry point of the uterus, and we are injecting dye into the uterine cavity, distending it, and then pushing that dye so that it moves through the fallopian tubes while we take x-ray pictures. The test tends to be very quick, less than five minutes, but the uterus does not like to be distended, nor does the tube. So you feel that, and it often can feel like cramping. I have some patients who say it was not a big deal, and I have others who say it was terrible. So I would say it is a very individualized experience, and we don't know how it will be for you. I often recommend taking Motrin or ibuprofen beforehand, just in case you have some cramping, and then know that you will have some water leakage afterward. And so being able to wear a pad and... Just know that as you're going on with your day. 
The vast majority of people tell me it is much less bad than they mentally were prepared. So I want you to think, okay, it could be a bad menstrual cramp, but take some Motrin or something ahead of time. Opinions on metformin for insulin resistance. I really love metformin as an option for insulin resistance. It has been shown to be helpful. It does improve insulin resistance. It can decrease production of testosterone from the ovaries. It can help you respond to medications for ovulation induction better and can decrease the risk of ovarian hyperstimulation. So metformin has a lot of really nice uses. It can also have some side effects. So when I prescribe it, I usually titrate it up. I don't put everybody on it. So if somebody doesn't have frank insulin resistance, I will often try inositol first, but for certain people, metformin really is indicated and will do the best. So it's a frequent medication that I use. All right. And at what point should a PCOS patient see an REI? So if you have PCOS, there can be different reasons to see a fertility doctor, but one of the top ones is because you are not ovulating. And you know this because you're not having regular predictable periods. If you are not having regular predictable periods, you have no length of time that you need to wait just come in. Come and see us. Get an evaluation done. A lot of patients will need ovulation induction and you deserve to get that started when you're ready to have your family versus waiting. If you do have regular periods, then you want to come see an REI at certain time periods. So one is going to be if you're less than age 35 and you've been trying for a year, or if you're over age 35 and you've been trying for six months, or you're 40 when you're ready to get pregnant. It is never wrong to see us and get more information and get testing done so that you know what you are dealing with. Okay, you guys, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here. Again, you can ask your questions every Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or sign up for the newsletter, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. Thank you, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.